0: Okay, a couple of confessions before I begin. Um, The first of which is this, before we pray, and and, um, I I do not pretend to be even in the least way uh, an expert on Native American spirituality. Um, And more importantly, I think it's important for us to keep in our minds that we're talking Native American Christian spirituality because, and I I want you to realize that everything I say today is in that context. It's easy for us to get lost, I think, into other ideas of spirituality and, and all of that. When I talk about Native American Christian spirituality, it needs to be understood that I am talking about people who are in the depths of their hearts seeking faith in Christ Um, They're not trying to warp it into something different. They're not trying to make it something uh, of their own. But they do bring their culture to it. And the, the more difficult thing is that there is no... I have yet to find a solid resource that lists out any type of systematic Native American Christian theology. And part of that is perhaps because... As a people, as a culture, they are not systematic about anything, and so for them to to write anything down um, tends to go against their grain. They are storytellers, and their faith is handed down in their stories it 's handed down to the the guest who 's come to the to the reservation without a driver 's license and therefore has to be driven around by somebody <laughs> and and that's how, they, that's how they share their faith. It is through the stories shared as you're, you're driving down these long, barren roads um, in the middle of what seems to be nowhere, but is very much somewhere. Um, to begin with, we're going to read um, a passage from Exodus 16. Um, it's a story we, I think we recently read. You all just seem so far from me today. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we'll do. Um, This is a familiar story. I think we read it a couple of weeks ago, um, or at least part of it. And I'm going to start kind of in the middle. I think you'll pick up right where we are as I begin to read. Um, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites they looked towards the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard them complaining of the I have heard the complaining of the Israelites, say to them at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground when the, Israelite, the Israelites saw it they said to one another what is it for they did not know that it was for they did not know what it was moses said to them It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you has need. An omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so. Some gathered more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing left over, and those who gathered lesser had no shortage they gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as each needed. And when the morning grew hot, it melted. So this is the word of the Lord be to God. Um, Let us pray. Gracious God, um, give me the wisdom I don't have uh, to share stories I have but heard. And grant us an uncommon understanding of people of faith we do not know and yet love. Grant us this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today, um, I really begin with more of a, a travel log, and then we're, we'll get into um, some theology such as it is. And I, I do make the point right off the bat, and as many of you have already heard the story, um, but it's, it's important to the setup of all this, so you're going to hear it again, like it or not. I flew into the Cedar Rapids... Um, Rapid City. I always get Cedar Rapids and Rapid City confused. I flew into the uh, Rapid City airport on a Saturday afternoon about 2 o'clock. Within five minutes of deboarding, everyone in the whole airport is gone. It just looks totally abandoned. And I go up to the Enterprise uh, counter to get my car and pull out my license. And she looks at it and she tells me it's expired. And in fact, it did expire this May 7th. This, of course, is in (laughs) mid-July. Didn't get that timely done. Um, Leaving me in this rather empty airport um, in a a place where I I wouldn't exactly say I have a lot of friends or acquaintances, (laughs) certainly no family. Um, What I did have was the number of um, Terry Looking Elk, who I had met once before. Specifically, I met him in a parking lot as our mission group um, needed, I believe, the key to the, to the church and the fellowship building. And so in Cedar rapid not Cedar Rapids, Rapid City. <laughs> rapid City, we were doing our grocery shopping and he met us there and he gave us the key. And I talked to him for two or three minutes through the window. He had, was just coming off some surgery. He had had a, a leg amputated to um, diabetes. And... Um, so I, and then he was off. And so I really did not know him. I had met his parents, Simon and LeVon, um, briefly for a potluck dinner in which everyone was demanding their time, so I didn't get much of it. So here I am at this airport, of which, as I said, you could fire off a cannon and not hit anybody in the middle of a Saturday afternoon on a hot July day. Um, I took out my phone. I called the Ohio State Office of Motor Vehicles, got a wonderful, wonderful recording. (laughs) Eventually got a live person who just basically said there was nothing they could do for me, period. So I went next to my contacts and found Terry's number and uh, called Terry, uh, humbled and embarrassed um, and really not knowing what to expect, uh, short of an overnight stay where I could then fly back home the next day. he did, in fact, make arrangements for me to stay at a hotel. Their homes are, are very small and very crowded. Um, so at first, I will tell you, I was a little offended that they didn't just say, well, why don't you stay at the house? And then I began to understand. It takes time. Um, uh, and, and later that evening, we talked on the phone, and that's when he proposed an idea, that being um, that maybe he and his son Jeremiah Uh, could service tour guides. Um, It goes to serve the greater good. Um, Obviously I didn't have to pay for a rental car. And Terry is not employed because of health. He's on a disability. And money, as you might guess, is always short on the reservation. And we will actually be talking about that at length today. So, as he proposed being the driver, I proposed the financial end of things and said, okay, well then, why don't I plan on giving you guys the money that I would have paid for a rental car? And then I was also able to figure out some other ways of helping to pay for the gasoline, too. So, we we made it an inequitable um, deal, and yet, um, you know who came far, far out ahead in the end of it, and that was me. So, that sets this up. So the pictures and everything really are born simply of the grace of God because, in one sense, I had no right to take them because I had no right to be there. And yet, God put the right person, the right people, in the right place at the right time to allow me to continue my sabbatical in a way that I had, had hoped. So, um, uh-oh. Okay. I don't want to go to next. Previous. There we go. Okay. Um, On the right is Terry Looking Elk. On the left is his son Jeremiah. And in the middle, oh dear, Carrie. Thank you. Carrie is Jeremiah's girlfriend and the mother of his daughter. Her son, um, Israel. Yeah, you'd think I would be able to figure these biblical names out, wouldn't you? Um, Jeremiah is 17. She is 18. Um, They are trying awfully hard to make it work, and I don't really know, as of today anyway, the status of the relationship, but she joined us for everything, as did Israel. Um, And so I was also privileged in a way to to enter into that dynamic and to to see how these things work out, um, how they process, what the real issues are in such things. It is not uncommon in the culture. Um, and I think most of us are probably pretty well adept to understanding the, the psychodynamics and the sociodynamics of of the issue. Um, so the rest are just pictures, and I'll weave through them very quickly, to get a feel for the land. Uh, How many have been to South Dakota? Let's see the hands. How many remember it? Okay. It would be awfully hard to forget. It is big sky country, um, and yet it's also a very intimate place, um, there's something about it that does not lend getting lost as we tend to think of being lost. You can be lost on roads, but you never feel inwardly like you're lost. You're, you're, you're somewhere in God's creation, this you know. Um, so this is simply a field, and this is fairly close to the uh, memorial of the the um, Wounded Knee Massacre. Um, this is a little cemetery right behind the Wounded Knee Massacre Memorial. Um, And I I took several pictures of this, and unfortunately it's not as big as I would have liked, but their cemeteries are significantly different than ours. Um, When we're at our best, our cemeteries are neat, manicured, green, litter-free, accessible, and pretty. There's are not. The word I would use to describe their cemeteries is real. They are real. They connote death uh, and afterlife. You'll see chairs, just old metal chairs sitting there because people come by and sit down. And they spend time there. They don't worry so much about cleaning up the gravesite. They worry much more about spending time um, in the presence of what they really understand to be living spirits, and not just the spirit of the dead person. So their cemeteries um, are places of, of activity. There, there's litter, they're chairs, rusty old chairs. their are plastic flowers that have been there way too long. Um, there's grass and weed everywhere. But I would tell you it is real. This is the road up to the Wounded Knee Massacre Memorial Site. And it really doesn't give you a good feel for it. Um, there are ruts that make it very dangerous to take a car up there. <laughs> Unless you have a four-wheeler or something, a chassis that sits up high off the ground, you don't dare go up to the site. Are um, we going to try something? Maybe we'll some, some lights? lights okay. Uh, well, if they didn't sit so far away, it, they would have not. <laughs> um, and in the summer, of course, the land is pretty dry and parched, so it's dusty and um, And really un- there's a certain unfriendliness to it, uh, or seemingly. That's the memorial, folks. Um, that's it. A major event in the life of these people, and ultimately of our country, that's it. No marble, like we're used to in Washington no polished and, and silvery stuff to uh, make you squint. Um, a a um, cyclone fence protects uh, the inner tomb where um, at the end of the massacre, U.S. soldiers simply dug a big, big pit and threw the bodies in and covered it up. And um, so, through research, they've understood that this is the place. They've put a narrow sidewalk all around it, so you can enter into those uh, that cyclone area, that fenced-in area, and walk around the tomb. At one side of the tomb, I can't. You see the, the there is a big marker right up over here, and that, that is what we would what would resemble to us a gravestone or a headstone. Um, And it lists uh, as many names as they know um, of those who who perished and were buried there. But again, if if we look at it and compare it to a World War II memorial or um, the Korean War Memorial or any battle memorial, Himojima site, you're, you're going to come away with a vastly different feel and experience. Um, they seem, and this is my interpretation, they seem to have no need to glitzify or formalize or um, spend great amounts of money uh, remembering they're dead because they remember they're dead here and here Um, And they tell their stories over and over again. They don't need to have fancy markers or fancy grounds to remember. Their stories are their memory. Um, So again, you walk up here, there is litter. There are all these things hanging on the fence, which all all have um, symbols, uh, all have meaning. Uh, It's their liturgy. The different colors symbolize um, the directions of the earth As well as um, the natural order, the wind, the ground, the sky, the sea, um, water, um, and lots of fake flowers (laughs) that have had too much sun. Um, It has become kind of um, commercial, but not in the sense that you and I think it's commercial. If if you're there in in the heat of the day, there'll be somebody who'll come up to you and ask you if you want to buy a sun catcher or something like that. Um, But they are not overpowering, and they'll offer something in return as well. They They will offer to tell you the story, their story of Wounded Knee, not U.S. History Books' story of Wounded Knee. And I make no judgment there. It's just that their story is significantly different than our story. And one of the big, big issues they, they play with, they don't play with, but, but has been of historical significance is whether Wounded Knee was a battle or a massacre. And um, it, it's hard to have a battle when only one side has weapons. So it was well, not a battle. Uh, they understand it simply as a massacre. Uh, and history has, has gone through and, and corrected that mistake. I think most, most history books now, U.S. history books, won't refer to it as the, the Battle of, of Wounded Knee, but the Massacre of Wounded Knee. Um, that's, the, that's the site. You'll see on the ground at the bottom of it, right here, up and down here, um, tobacco. Um, dirt. Things that have um, symbolic value for them. Um, anything that, that burns, gives off smoke, smoke purifies. Um, a lot of deep meaning there that I don't pretend to understand or even get. Yeah. Dave, I don't mean to interrupt, but the previous picture, there's what, what I presume is the Christian cross. Yes. Up on top of
1: that ark. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, what can you say
1: about any
0: of that? Um, well, first of all, the memorial was put together, if I'm right, Nancy, or some of you may know, in the, in the 50s, as I recall. I mean, the, the monument, the whole monument thing. Um, and by then, of course, uh, Christianity had... Um, Christianity holds a very significant place in this culture. It's not um, an aside. It's not... It's not one of many. It's really one of two. And it, it's hard even to delineate those sometimes between you know, what we would call this Native American um, spirituality born from their traditions and this import, um, Christianity. Um, but if, if I'm right enough, I'm remembering correctly when this whole thing was put together, this this culture, much like our culture, is very Christianized. So whether it has um, deep, significant meaning for everybody who comes to the memorial or not, um, it speaks of our culture, you know, much the same way. Um, we, all, we all know people who wear crosses who've never been in a church or really don't know what what the cross represents. It's in their culture, as in ours? Other questions before I continue? Feel free. Don't, I'm, you know, I'm winging it today. Lost Bird, um, what, this is not, you'll notice, this is outside the fence. She is, as far as we know, the only living survivor of the massacre. She lived. Um, and I'm not super specific about the details, but at one point in time, she was adopted by a member of the military. Um, and her life was basically one of being put on display. Um, carnivals, circuses, um, she was dragged to and from. She was used as a um, a piece of economic property. She died very young. Um, and the understanding in the Native American culture she died of both a broken heart, her parents were killed, and of abuse. And the tribe brought her back to be buried uh, at the site where her parents uh, would have been buried, uh, and as an honor of an understanding that the, the ramifications of the massacre went beyond a simple day, but certainly affected her life, and, and spoke to Spoke a certain criticism of the white man's ways. Um, okay, we're out of we're out of the memorial now. This is just an abandoned church. I'm 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 drawn to abandoned churches for some reason, and believe me, I'm not trying to make this an abandoned church. <laughs> but um, this is an abandoned Methodist church, and I I have one shot on the inside. Uh, But it did not turn out well, and no matter what I did with Photoshop, it just didn't turn out right. But it's obvious that the last service held here was Christmas Eve, because of stuff that was on the wall and hanging from the ceiling. Um, But as is their course, they're not going to take it down, they're going to let it go back to nature. Um, And so, um, me and my love of architectural structures, I just Take lots of pictures of things. This is the countryside. (laughs) Um, And if you can't tell from the picture, um, that's probably several hundred feet, I mean, more like five or six hundred feet down. It is awful it sucks the wind right out of you to see it. Um, And in it, the the one thing that attracts me to this is the fact that these formations, you you know they're changing. With every rainfall, uh, with every drought, they change. And for me, it becomes a living testimony to God's continuing creative activity in the world. You can see it. Um, if I were to go back next year and try to take the same picture, I couldn't. Because it's not the same. Um, it's a land of transition. Okay. This is up on a, a high plain, and you're off in the distance. You're going to see the valley. But the figure that's standing there, um, have any of the, the group from out west seen this? Okay, this was a special place I got to go because I didn't renew my license. (laughs) Um, That is a stone figure. It's made of stones, and it's called a sentinel. Uh, And the Indians build them in the most barren places to watch after the land, to keep an eye on the land, Uh, to speak of the fact that, that somebody has been here and cares about this place as desolate as it is. And you'll see these in, in places um, all around. And I have some closer ones, but I guess I didn't put it. You'll also notice that I have some dust or something on my lens up there in the left-hand corner. Um, again, just <laughs> the land is so huge and, and so beautiful. Uh, every now and then, you'll come into little reservoirs that, that are natural. Uh, but just seemed to be out of place in what really is a a deserted land. This particular uh, grouping fascinated me because they look like castles to me, Um, and you may not be able to see it, but they, you know, I see turrets, I see um, towers, and I must have taken 500 pictures of these things, and we'll start, that's number one. (laughs) (laughs) Again, the shadows. um, Again, you can't see them, but this looks almost like a mountain range. This one little area that's in the shadow looks like its own little mountain range when you're there live. Another abandoned church. This was a Catholic church, Um, and when I was there the year before, and and it's it's a testimony to memory. When I was here the year there the year before with the mission group, I went out early one morning driving by myself. And I came upon this church then, and I needed to go back to it. I needed to take pictures of it. I I don't know why, but I needed to go back to it. What I remember is that morning, two years ago, the clouds were very dark and big. And as you looked at the church and you saw the clouds behind it, there was something... powerful, uh, mysterious, powerful, awe-inspiring, mighty. There was something mighty about it. And I needed to go back and take pictures of it. I did not have my camera with me at that point. And I needed to go back and take pictures of this. So we found it. I didn't even know where it was, but through all of our driving, we finally found it. But the sky was not the same. Nothing was the same. It was just an abandoned church. Um lots of lessons to be drawn from that, you can't go back um, God is never the same, except in love um, feelings and interpretations change over time uh, but that's the altar of the church and you'll see, I mean, it's just, it's just strewn with junk uh, they're just going to let it go back to nature um, I think this means we're coming to, towards the end uh, Okay, so by now you are going to recognize the man on the left is Terry looking elk and the boy next to him is his son, uh, Jeremiah. Next to him is Levon, Jeremiah's grandmother and Terry's mother, and Simon looking elk. Simon is the pastor of the church. He's, he is a, uh, what we'd call an interim pastor there. <laughs> has been for 10 years. <laughs> Officially, he's the interim pastor. And he and LeVon and and their children, and their children's children um, give their lives to this little congregation. They have to travel almost two hours to get to the congregation because of health issues. They have to live in Cedar Rapid in Rapid City. Did it myself that time. Um, and so they make multiple trips a week. Um, one of the things that just shocked the bejeevies out of me um, is this. Between the four of them, they do not own one car that has less than 250,000 miles on it. Cars are not disposable. Um, you don't get rid of it because it's not the right make. Um, doesn't look right. You just you don't do it. The fact is also, of course, that it would be a terrible use of what money they do have. So cars are constantly being worked on, um, redone, upgraded, um, however you put that. Um, Simon and Levon are getting old. Um, more than that, they're getting tired. And their family situation is, is um, fraught with issues. Uh, their daughter, their grown daughter, is blind, um, has other health issues as well. Terry, of course, has uh, a severe diabetes, uh, is in um, dialysis uh, four to five hours, three times a week. Um, their other daughter is in a pretty stable situation. Um, and I'm forgetting if there's a fourth child or not. That's right, the son out west, who, as many of them have, uh, has employment issues. Um, I think at this point right now, he's, he has something, and, it's, and they make the most of it. Um, but the looking elks, grandma and grandpa looking elk, Take care of a rather large family with rather meager um, resources, um, and they 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 really are quite amazing. That is it. Okay. Um, did you have a question?
1: Yes. One of these pictures that you just showed us is a prize winner. You have captured a symbolic moment in a work of
0: photography. Well, then we have to find it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the Roman Catholic Church.
0: The the altar or
1: the... You no, know, the, uh, the exterior.
0: All right, let's see what he's thinking here. It's okay, expanded out size-wise. Oh, I'm going to have to do it this way. All right. I mean, who am I to tell him he's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, is a, this is a ghost town of the church, but you,
1: and I'm going to say, you've done it on purpose, and that's even better. You lined yourself up, the window on the right-hand side has the glow of light coming mm-hmm. from the other side lined up.
0: Yes, that's true. That was intentional. As I've said before, I, I who am I to disagree with Jim? Um, <laughs> it, his wisdom shines through again and again and again. Oh, um, well, thank you. That was intentional. Um, I don't know if for all of the reasons you you mentioned, but photography, like any kind of art, I'm discovering, and I am just learning. There are so many people who are so much better than me. It's really de- depressing. But um, also learning light plays a whole lot, and you have to have the right equipment and the right light, and I didn't always have it with me. Um, but one of my, my fascinations with photography is is going back to a picture you've looked at before and coming up with something new. Um, I was looking at those pictures earlier of, of the landscape, and, and, it, it, and it occurred to me that I will never be able to take that picture again because the land will have changed. Um, right in front of your eyes. You watch it morph. Um, and that's part of the beauty of photography or any other kind of art, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, he
1: had pictures of
0: of- um, yeah, and it's a mirror of our own culture in many ways, um, they also they also have less need and this is going to sound strange I think but they are storytelling people and although they need liturgy they need fellowship um, theology um, for us is much more bound up in, in our liturgy and that's one of our great gifts, but it's not an only gift. Um, the fact that they can speak so well what they believe through their stories um, doesn't bind them to a building. Um, there are lots of other reasons don't I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to whitewash things. you know lots of people are leaving the reservations because it's hard to make a living. It's hard to have a good life there. Uh, if they're not leaving they're, they're tending to concentrate a little bit more in what we would call towns, and they may know more of as city. Um, there, are, there are some institu- institutions that are thriving, uh, religious institutions. One of them is the uh, Red Cloud High School, Christian High School, run by um, the Jesuits who do an amazing job of educating um, Native American children an incredible rate of uh, those children go on to, to college. It's some, it's some phenomenal degree. It's some ph- phenomenal number. I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember going, that's amazing for what they, what they have to work with. Um, public schools aren't great, but they're not bad. You know, Like everything, it's what you put into it that you get out of. Um, so I think the shifts in culture. This is this church is out in the middle of nowhere, folks. You can tell. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's nothing anywhere around. Um, I have I have not a clue, and there's nothing there to tell you. There's absolutely nothing. Yes, Nancy might be able to enlighten us. No, 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 I'm not <laughs> The first time I went out there was 18 years ago. There was a church in mm. Pine Ridge, right across Yeah. Right. They do put stock in their history, but it's it's an important different history. It 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 is the important history. Uh it's not so much about the buildings as it is the families and um the passing on. Um Okay. Yeah. That's how I've experienced yeah, them. You, so,
1: in your experience, did you find that they had, because they were storytelling, they also are a story-listening people, that therefore they had a greater attention span to people who were, say, giving a sermon? Did
0: you, <laughs> <laughs> did, you did you come across
1: any, any um, uh, anecdotal evidence of that?
0: You know, I, I didn't, but I wasn't looking for it because... I really was, and and I was eager to to hear their stories. I wanted to hear them. I didn't want to tell my stories. I wanted to hear. Um, And, but in in part to that, I don't know that I was often asked about my story either. Um, And and I could see where that would be as much an issue of, uh, less an issue of interest on their part, but more an understanding that right now they have an opportunity um, to share their story, to make people aware of their story, their history, their presence, their future. So I don't, I don't tag that off as disinterest. I, I tag it to something much more positive, i.e., they have an opportunity. They're going to take it. That's right. I'd forgotten all about that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it was always a a verbal. Why am I standing here then?
1: right yeah
0: No, <laughs> anytime you... Please, please. Um, what, one question that might be interesting in, is to, to do a memory check. I mean, I, I know I'm famous or infamous for my lack of memory, um, but I wonder if you were to do some studies and find out, you know, the degree to which they can remember uh, versus the degree to which any of us might be able to remember or how far back or to what detail. might be an interesting study. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we worked there
1: fifteen seconds, and the guy that I guess was head of the stand was probably in his mid forties. Didn't take him very long to reflect on what happened.
0: Yeah, I know who you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They think, they already, yeah. They know what happened. And some of yeah. them know what happened. Yeah. And so they, they don't really. They're not there to listen to us.
0: That, yeah, that's true. That's true. And he
1: told it. And I tell you, that it's unbelievable. He
0: he didn't just talk. About did he take you through the notebook? Did yeah, he have a notebook with him? Yeah. Yeah. He did, he did the whole thing, yeah. The history the guy knew was unbelievable. Yeah. He. um He's there a lot, I guess. Uh, and he has a, a notebook of newspaper clippings. Um, some from the time, and some from uh, the dedication of the memorial, and then other interesting things that, that help him put the whole thing together. And we're not talking the New York Times. We're talking Native American newspapers. We're talking um, Cedar Rapid News. You know, it's a little of everything. Nancy? No? Okay, uh, Rapid City. Su- did I say? Did I say? <laughs> 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 when I start talking about city or Cedar City, then we're real in trouble. Yeah, Fred. Go ahead. You sort of touched on a <sighs> yeah, I, I struggle with that question because. Um, I would say yes, but there is also hypocrisy there that that I've picked up. In other words, you see lots of junk everywhere, but they can talk about the land and it's 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 and the spiritual life of the land and the wind and and the water, um, a blue streak that you know and and the rever- you can the, the reverence for it just. But again, like every culture, you have those who buy into it and those who don't, those who understand it, those who don't. And you have incredible poverty on top of that. So what's important? Is it getting rid of the junk car? And then you add the social ills on top of that, and of which we all are very aware. Alcoholism is rampant. Um, Diabetes is rampant. It's just exploding on the reservations. Um, child abuse, divorce rates. I mean, it's its staggering. And in that sense, in a lot of that sense, it mirrors white folk. It, it takes on its own flavors because they are a unique culture. Um, but the poverty levels you know, ratchet it all up another notch. And, again, I don't, I don't know, how, I have no answers for it. I'm, I'm just sitting here yakking about it. What I would say is this, and, and this is the theological point that I would draw out today. Um, historically, you know, if, let me, let me, what are the values of our culture? Let's take a little poll. What's the value of our what are some of the values you see out in white Anglo-Saxon culture today? Self-reliant. Pardon? Self-reliant. Self-reliant. Money. What money, power possessions? possessions. Work. Pardon? Work. 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 Health. Health? Celebrity. Celebrity? Entertainment? Entertainment. possessions, sports, um, freedom, liberty, I mean, a mix of bad and good, um, we're going to understand that this culture isn't any different. It's just one particular aspect of their culture really hit me hard. Um, and, and Terry and Jeremiah and uh, I are driving down the road one day, and, and Terry's telling a story, um, about tribal life before automation, you know, we're talking 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And he's, he's trying to explain what tribal life was like. And he said, you know, so what we got talking about power structures. Okay, who leads? Who, who is honored? Okay, well, the warrior is honored. Um, but the warrior is honored as somebody who protects um, not necessarily someone who... who um, I don't want to go there. It, it protects the tribe. It, it's a much more intimate, small situation. Not, we're not talking nations like we tend to think of nations. Okay, so the warrior is honored. Um, wisdom is honored. Um, and And this is the one that stunned me the one who gives away the most is honored. Native American culture will never be a wealthy culture. They don't value it. And in some degrees, they don't want it. They see it as evil. Um, they see it as greedy. So the one who is valued in their culture historically is the one who has enough and then has more than enough and then gives that away to somebody who has less than they do. So, the overlying value for them and their culture is one of equality in what to us is a a rather... um, Unsustainable um, metaphor, and 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 it's not going to get you somewhere in the long run. It's not going to evolve your culture. Um, if you're if you're giving a, if if you're trying to to format a a egalitarian society, there's not a lot of need to um, innovate or create. Um, there, there's no need for status. Status becomes um, one of the bad things. Um, so honor is held in a radically different place. And I'm going to say it this way. I see it today more as um, a philosophy or as a a a noble exercise that even they're not able to really live out much anymore. First of all, they're all poor. So it's not like there's a whole lot to give away. But they also are caught up or get caught up in, you know, they all have cell phones. Um, The the one thing a, a, a teenage boy wants is a car. There, in fact, however, as I said in the sermon, you need a car there because there are like these vast distances, and, and to go anywhere you need, you know, the beta bus isn't quite as friendly there as it is here, yeah. toasters and Was there? Um, there was a murder in uh, Rapid City. <laughs> um, in, yeah, in, in an alley behind a drugstore. And the Looking alks know everybody, and so they knew this person and they knew the family. And so Terry and I are again driving down one of these long stretches of road, and he's he's telling me what's going to unfold with this because. He's been ostracized from his family. Um, alcoholism, a, and he, he'd, he'd burned all of his friends. Um, and so what family there is now has this incredible dilemma because they are going to be asked to bury this person who is part of them and devote a whole lot of their income to buying presents to give to all the guests. Because that's also the, the funeral ritual. Um, in, in honor of the person who has died, you give gifts to everybody who comes. And so, you know, and it was, it was half-joking. He said, you know, nobody's going to want to go to the funeral because there will be no giveaway. Um, and if there was a giveaway, you would know that it was causing hardship on a family for a person for whom had only been a a drag on the family. So, it... You can see the moral and ethical problems and and dilemmas they they deal with with this particular outlook on life. Um, And it also means that he will not be honored for whatever good was in him, that probably won't be recognized or celebrated because the bigger picture is such that they, the family can't really do it. Um, and Terry was really sad about that uh, because in everybody there is something good. Their theology isn't too terribly different than, than aspects of the Celtic theology that um, posit there is good, there's God in everybody. Um, And the juxtaposition that we've talked about in this class that in Reformed theology, we tend to start with the premise that there's no good in me and it has to be put into me by the Holy Spirit. They would posit, no, it is there, it's just buried. So salvation becomes not so much about you changing but you becoming who you really are. Um and that, that so that takes on a different flavor as well. Um, yeah. We got about five more minutes. Um it sounds almost like your bride to come to Pardon? Uh, it's almost it sounds almost like your bride to come to these events. Huh. They've always packed up and moved along I don't know that I'm really qualified to answer um, I, part of me would definitely say it it Reason tells me yes to some degree, but where in specifics, I, I don't know. Do you? Right. Made their homes and their clothes. Or for what? Fun. For fun? For the tongue. They would cut the tongue out because it was meat. The white man would cut the tongue out and then leave the rest of the carcass to rot. Hundreds of thousands of buffalo. They never recovered from that, that and well, it it does in that in that their culture was accustomed to moving. Um, they they were not a. a I'm talking about the interpersonal relationships, so, um, okay, then I'm not in a position. Go ahead. They're done. They're done. Yes, and that is so different from being able to come. That may be their ultimate revenge. But I thought I thought the casinos were their original revenge, but. Well, another thing is they actually, before they were even ever Christianized, lived in intimate community. Hash it out. Hash it out. There's no question there. Yeah. They have different words in their language for an ant on their mother. Yeah. In our Catholic that, society. Yeah. Does that <laughs> approach? Okay. I, th- I think the most important thing to understand, you know, perhaps, is, the, is this idea of Koinonia, of, of that they, they lived as a big fam- A tribe was a family. And um, as, a, as opposed to a nuclear understanding, the nuclear understanding of family that we have, theirs is much more expansive. Um, and how one lives on a commune is, is significantly different than how one lives in a subdivision. Um. Okay, I'm out of time. No, no, I, I didn't know what I was going to do for the last 10 minutes, so um, I just, I, I throw that at you in terms of, okay, um, not wanting to, to severely denigrate my own culture, but nevertheless wanting to throw challenges at us, which is, you know, every culture needs challenges. So That's where I'm coming from with this idea of they give it away as opposed to they give rather than take Um, And what can we take away from that that is good and healthy and and what is it in it that? stagnates a culture and uh, There there are pros and cons and so for me it, it becomes an issue of what do I make of this? What what can I take away from it that is good and right and helpful and what do I understand is? Is not helpful and leaves us in, in these, you know, in several ways, these impoverished places. Somebody had their hand up. Yeah. yeah. Well, when we broke away from
1: England, one of the biggest changes was that we could own land in this country. Yeah. Prior to that, the serfs worked for the kingdom and so forth. Well, in the, in the in, Native Americans, they were nomadic. They didn't believe in owning anything.
0: Well, they all owned it.
1: Well, they all. Owned it, it
0: was God's. But it wasn't
1: ownership. It yeah. Was just
0: loan from God as we say yeah. um, and that, that also then means significantly, I mean if you think of the idea of ownership um, and what that will do to our understanding of self and culture um, versus this notion of, and it's very much a Christian notion of stewardship, we're here to guard the land to protect it um, it's, your, your, your social structures are going to be significantly different given the task you're given Is it to protect the land, to share the land, or is it to conquer the land and um, make use of the land? All right, um, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for uh, this day, a Sabbath day, uh, where we might rest and reflect on your goodness and your gracious activity in our lives as we head off to worship now. Continue that activity within us. Allow us with humble hearts to approach your throne of grace uh, with an attitude of worship, praise, and thanksgiving. We thank you for people so different from ourselves who challenge us to be better than we are. Bless them this day as they worship Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So much more.